Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast, hosted by three friends who were brought together by their heroin-addicted partners. We became each other's biggest support through some of life's toughest times. We're not licensed professionals, and nothing in this conversation is professional advice. But we hope our stories offer a glimpse into how these issues weave into our everyday lives. You're not alone. We can all get through it together. If you're listening, you probably know we met at a family support group and our bonds have grown stronger through sharing our stories and supporting each other. When we think about the thing that's helped us most, it's that. So we'd like to extend that community to you. If you're feeling like no one understands what you're dealing with, or you're looking for a community of like-minded individuals, consider joining us for our virtual support group. For details, visit recoveringto.com. We know what you're going through and we're here to help. We're Recovering Too. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. Uh, We have a special guest with us today. Jay Harpering is a licensed clinical addictions counselor, and we all met him several years ago through our family support group that we attend. Uh, He was the first counselor that we had in that group, um, and he's just been such a huge support in our own journeys and in so many others, and so we're very glad and thankful to have him joining us on this podcast today. Um, and we are going to talk about codependency. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jay, welcome. Thank yeah, you for thanks being for coming. here. Yeah. Thanks. So excited Glad to, to talk here. to you. Um, can you, I guess, before we dive in, maybe just give us a little background on like what licensed clinical addictions counselor? What does that even mean? Okay. Um, well, as a therapist, uh, I'm actually work in the state of Indiana. And so with the state health professions bureau, there are licensures for different types of counselors and the LCAC licensed clinical addictions counselor is one of them who primarily works with addiction um, treatment. So uh, with that, um, I have a master's in marriage and family therapy, but my licensure is in addictions. So that's where primarily most of my work has been done in the past 20 years. And, um, but I also do family work within that scope. So um, that license is uh, what helps me uh, work with patients on a weekly basis and, um, and help families as well. Yeah. That's what was so helpful for us, you know, Mm -hmm. because obviously it was beneficial that, addiction, you have all of that understanding, but then on the loved one side of it, that marriage um, therapy part, I think was really beneficial to, to those on, on that side of. Sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was our first um, exposure to like one-on-one therapy, I think, which was the, the foundation for some really, uh, that wasn't so productive at the time because (laughs) (laughs) my husband wasn't really in a place to be open and sharing at that point but that laid the foundation for us to continue doing that work throughout his recovery so that was really helpful for us there's still a tool that you taught us um that i i'll share with you real quick that we use i don't know if you remember uh this but um my husband uh had a really hard time communicating with me like telling me anything at all So um, he didn't share his emotions um, very well. But when you taught us this tool where we would sit down and repeat what the other person said back to them, like we would just talk and like, just say the way we were feeling or what we were thinking in like a really short, um, a really short, like concise way. And then the other person would repeat it back. And we literally communicated like that, like very, it almost felt very robotic, but it taught us how to communicate it really did and right. we still use that if we're well, good if we're like really emotional and having like a heated conversation like okay you go i go you go <laughs> i go uh-huh. and yeah. it helps a lot it was one of like the biggest things that has helped us so i am really happy to hear that yeah uh, yeah you taught us that at the, those um were elements um of what's called imago therapy or image therapy 
Um, and that kind of work is done with family members or couples, couples in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I utilized that when I was doing family therapy work um, at the place um, of, uh, in the addictions treatment center that I currently work with. Um, we were able to give uh, up to five uh, sessions to families, to couples. So that's, I know how I met you, mm-hmm. Alex, and your husband, and um, and just being able to kind of utilize in those very short, brief kind of interactions, a way, a tool of being able to communicate and also learn, learn how to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times what happens with couples, um, or even with family members, period, when we communicate we we interpret what we think we heard someone say but by going back and using that practice that you stated that you continue to use that you end up hearing what your husband is actually saying Mm -hmm. not what how you're interpreting it and until you get that correct you know or hear what he's actually saying or or vice versa you use that tool and um and it and it it is a different way. It is kind of does kind of feel robotic at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, eventually, being able to use that in a way that's you know that you can still show emotion and and get your point across to each other, and using that maybe and not so even really intense moments of communication. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just deciding you know, you had a bad day or you had a great day and you want to go out to dinner and where do you want to go? And you both are kind of communicating in that way to come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the family, the, the, the program that you met me in was when I was a family therapist and um, in my position and years uh, several years prior to that I had started running that family support group Mm -hmm. and that was a group that was open to the whole community and it is still in operation to this day where there is an actual licensed therapist facilitating that group and family members who have issues with a loved one in either in treatment or not in treatment are able to go to this family support group and be able to talk about issues that they're having. Um, you know, what, what do they need to do to try to get someone into treatment um, and all of that. So the premise of that group is, was, and still is really about the loved one, the family, the, the family members, the family members, the, the, uh, the person with a substance abuse issue is not involved in that group, but the family members are. And it's a place where they are able to kind of explain what they're doing there, what they're wanting to get out of being able to be a part of that group. And then the, the hope for that person is that they are learning how about the, the disease of addiction because like you said, for many people coming into um, a therapeutic setting, it may be the very first time that they ever met a therapist, whether that's individual, family, or in a group setting. So, yeah. they're, you know, the premise is learning about what that addiction uh, material is all about, you know, mm-hmm. and all the acronyms and all the information about what all that is, entails. And then also uh, the premise is also about how is the loved one taking care of themselves through this process? Yeah. I remember um, just when you first start in this like program and everything, everything feels so overwhelming. Like you said, there's (laughs) acronyms being thrown at you, different Mm -hmm. technical terms, like it's all so new. Um, And for many of us, all three of us included, like, it's not something we were just talking about with other people. So it was like the first place where you could go and be Mm -hmm. around people who understood. And then to have, you know, someone um, like you, Jay, facilitating it was so helpful in 
moving the conversation and helping to process emotions. And, um, and like you said, the, the self-care was a big focus, um, still, still is. Um, and usually remember when people would ask the first time, so what are you doing to take care of yourself? It seems like such a simple question, but like, I remember most people are always like, uh, um, I'm not really sure because for a while you've just been like living in, in chaos and trying to keep things together and make sure your loved one is being taken care of. And then you kind of forget about yourself. So. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it was, I would, I undid a lot of that, um, thinking we'll probably dig more into this as we discuss today's topic which is codependency but before going to that meeting my world was always about my loved one and um when I was asked that week after week when I was going it was you know what am I doing for myself it it really helped me remove myself from his his cycle and focus on me which then helped me heal and as a result helped our relationship so it was really fundamental I think and having that encouragement of a group say well you are important what are you doing and it kind of reminded me uh because for so long I just was caught up in the chaos of addiction you know and you just don't really take take a step back and and think about yourself but so that was really helpful for me but my question Jay is um, I feel like this group is pretty unique and it's been so helpful to us. I mean, the three of us have really formed, um, obviously, a friendship throughout these years and um, mm-hmm. built our own little support group and now are t- using uh, that relationship to do a podcast like this because we really felt like there wasn't a lot of resources for people like us. Um, how, number one, like, are these types of groups super common in other communities? Um, how would someone find a family support group like this? That's maybe not, um, Al-Anon or Naranon or that type of support group. Do you have any advice for that? Well, I think that, um, I don't think they're as common as they need to be. Um, I know that there is good work that can be done with families through Naranon, Alanon, Alateen, those types of groups, which are more 12-step based. Um, This group was formed um, within the treatment center here in Indianapolis that I work work for. Um, And I would hope, and I, I, I don't know, but I would hope that all treatment centers would have this type of dynamic or service happening for for everyone in the community um i work for a non-profit non-for-profit so you know we're we're trying to um elicit more help in the community to try to make sure that there are avenues for people and even if it's if if it's referring not to my uh treatment center but to some other location you know in the community Mm -hmm. that you know maybe doesn't someone doesn't have insurance or it they don't have transportation to get from all the way up on the north side of the city and they live downtown what whatever that is Mm -hmm. um so I, i know that there's not a lot of groups that probably would be looked upon as free to someone a free service Mm -hmm. with a therapist in the room yeah yeah and that's what was very different you know luckily for us we have benefactors or people that donate uh to our cause and um they believe in the work that we do especially with families so they have helped you know help pay for someone like myself sitting in that group Mm -hmm. um, to be able to, to do that. So my hope is, is that more, and maybe through this podcast, which I think is phenomenal, you you know, I think that it's really great to hear that you ladies took what was offered to you, all three of you, and through these subsequent years have come to develop what you need to help reach others. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole premise of any kind of 
12 steps or, you know, 12 step group, half uh, self-help group is about giving back. Mm -hmm. And to me, this podcast service is like giving back to, to women um, that could be across the whole country or out of the country needing help with this type of issue, you know, having a loved one in with addiction issues, suffering from substance abuse issues. And how do I, how do I navigate through Mm -hmm. this? Yeah. 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 I just shout out to you, Jay. I mean, I do think, um, Steve has been in recovery. He just hit his five year clean date. And so, you know, our marriage is doing well. We now have two children. And so I thank the group, um, for, helping us maintain our relationship if because people always ask me like why did you stay I don't know why I stayed but I knew I kept coming back to the group every Wednesday six to eight and it was just (laughs) you kept you kept coming back to listen to the messages like it can get better okay there was a relapse that's okay and like you could vent um to the people in the group so it it was just such a wonderful wonderful experience and uh you know, hopefully, like you said, this podcast can do that for people because I see on Facebook and groups like, oh, my loved one's dealing with addiction. And it's like, oh, how can we help? Like, because you just know it's, it's such an awful disease and it just kind of permeates through your whole family. Right. Well, and what was interesting for you, Elise, in that group is that you had your husband's family. (laughs) (laughs) I did. You know? Which was very, which in some ways was a big challenge, perhaps, you know, because, you know, I, you don't know how they may feel, but they were expressing how they felt. And, you know, I think that that issue, I, I really, again, taking advantage of a situation where you can get some help and learn to not only communicate with um with your husband, but also maybe with other family members. Right. So, yeah, I know sometimes I would either talk to one of, uh, you know, Alex or Elise or <laughs> Alex or Liz, and I'd be like, Hey, my mother-in-law is coming tonight. Can you please ask this question? Like to kind of get the other group <laughs> to either say like back off mama or whatever it may be. Yes. And yes. so that, that was always helpful for the group because it's hard to tell, like my mother-in-law, she's wonderful and I love her, but it's like, she is all for her son you know, it is everything. And, you know, if he's just a dick, like she's going to defend him no matter what. And so like the other ladies and even you, uh, Jay, I think maybe called her out a couple of times, which was, it was just great. You know, it's just such a family, such a connection is built with, with all of us and genuine concern. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I wonder, so just really quick, Jay, before we jump into codependency, we could talk to you forever about the group and all the wonderful <laughs> things. Like we've just enjoyed you over the years. Um, so you said 20 years. So what got you into this field? Well, um, quite frankly, um, in the therapy field, I had, I had studied to be a Catholic priest for three and a half years. I don't know. And um, I decided in that process that that was not what I was meant to do. And um, so for me, doing therapy work was the closest thing to doing some kind of ministry work with not being connected to an organized religion, being able to have a private life, being able to believe what I know I believe and be able to um, to do that. Uh, you know, I come from a, a, a family that has its own issues with addiction and communication issues and, um, and so forth. So I had that personal experience also that I knew that families needed help. And um, so that's kind of how I got into it. Now, I, I entered um, my master's, my second master's program in marriage and family therapy, I did not know that I would be working my, so far my whole uh, career in addictions. I did not, I did not see that coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, how that really transitioned was that I worked with a uh, co-therapist and we had started doing work with families and some of those families 
had addiction issues. And from there, that's kind of how I got into it. And um, I, my first job out of, uh, out of uh, my master's program was working for a local mental health center. And I went right into the addictions field. And I, I've, I've worked in group homes. I've worked in um, doing individual and family and group addictions counseling. Um, and currently, I work as a, um, oh, what do I want? Oh, manager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a manager of a women's residential treatment center which fo focuses just on the women, but we also f provide a family service. I have two therapists that work with me and we offer group um, therapy for families. We just see again, how families are touched by this disease and the need for them to get help. So that's kind of in a nutshell, that's kind of how I got into this field. Cool. So, so I'll say I shared my first meeting and a gentleman, we all know the gentleman gave me a book and it was codependent no more. I had no idea what that was. I read the book and basically every page spoke to me. So can you, I, but I feel like what, like, what is it Jay from like, from a professional standpoint, like how can other people like, like, Oh my gosh, that's me. Like what is codependency? Okay. <laughs> well, um, Really, it's a, it's a psychological condition. Um, therapists utilize what we call the DSM-5. Um, and from there, that helps kind of classify what are diagnosis of certain conditions. And the DSM-5 does not in particular state codependency as a, as a disorder um, as a diagnosis. The closest thing to that is um, a personality disorder, dependent personality disorder. And from there, of course, to have codependency or to be diagnosed, you have to have a professional psychiatrist. Um, a therapist really can't diagnose. We can't classify or diagnose something. We have to go through the medical field to do that. But we are educated on what those types of issues look like. What is, what's the criteria? If you have this, then this is what you have. Um, and 12-step books like Codependent No More um, kind of helps a reader be able to do that, to kind of listen and find out what what is going on. So... Actually, with that psychological, psychological condition um, or a relationship in which a person is controlled or manipulated by another who's affected with a psychological condition, uh, condition such as addiction, um, and in broader terms, it refers to a dependence on the needs or the control of another. It also involves placing a lower priority on one's own needs while being excessively preoccupied with the needs of someone else. Codependency can also occur in any type of relationship, including family, work, friendship, and also romantic or peer or community relationships. So uh, codependency may also be characterized by denial or low self-esteem, um, excessive compliance, or control patterns. And one of the things um, with this issue is that narcissists are considered to be a, a, a natural magnet for codependent behavior. Hmm. So someone who is a narcissist typically is someone who um, wants to be followed by someone, wants to be, um, in terms of their behavior, they're in control. And so finding someone that will go with their plan of action is what they're huh. looking for. Mm. Um, so the, the codependent 
you know, typically, like any of these diagnoses that occur, the codependent doesn't wake up one morning and say, I want right. to be a codependent. <laughs> you know, I want to, I want to be, I want to be uh, all obsessed by someone else. I want to minimize my own needs. I, I want to um, deny my own self-worth for someone else. We don't wake up one morning and that's what mm -hmm. it is. That's a gradual process. Some of that might happen within our own family of origin, of systems, you know. For others, um, it may be um, someone who is, uh, again, has that very low self-esteem and, and someone else then we find attractive perhaps because they have certain characteristics that we like. But when we get into the relationship, we might find out that it's all about them and not really about us. So I have a, a question. Um, sure. So is, are there certain types of people who are sort of like primed to become codependent <laughs> or is it like, or are you is it more Born like this oh, way. an event happens that then that triggers something that makes somebody who maybe wouldn't be codependent become codependent? Like it, it can, it can happen. I think in all those different forms, I don't think there's one, one definition or defined manner of how those things develop. Um, it can go back to, you know, and this is getting real clinical, but object relations with, you know, children, infants, you know, I, I think one of the clarifications is this, this is what I want to state, is that it is normal for us to want to help others. It is part of being a good person and being a good partner. But I think that there is a fine, there's a fine line that's crossed when it becomes compulsive when it becomes um, really detrimental to someone. Um, you know, being, I, I know that the two of you are uh, young moms and you know that with your children, you know, when they want something, they want it, they want it now. <laughs> and, you know, they, you, you've, as mothers, you, you teach them what's what's acceptable behavior um what you know I, I also perhaps the the time of of learning to be to wait for certain things to be given or experience for someone who um is is has the codependent characteristics it's always thinking about this other person and getting their needs met no matter how difficult it may be no matter how um, chaotic it may develop in order to get that, it, it's always the premise. So the issue comes from, I think, someone who it's, they're a good person and they're wanting to be helpful. And also, I think it's someone that doesn't want to have a lot of chaos. Mm -hmm. it does, they don't want a lot of up and down moods. They don't want to create... Um, uh, a situation where someone's angry or upset. But again, those are natural emotions and situations that occur in everyday life and everyday relationships. And we need to make sure that we're grounded enough to know that we don't have to erase all of those emotions or get rid of all those emotions for that other person. They need to learn to deal with life on life's terms what and 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 learn from that because i i don't think for for either one we're not doing a justice to either each mm -hmm. person you know we're, we're we're being stunted we learn to we learn to uh, patterns of behaviors that um create more problems than solve problems so Historically, the codependence piece comes out of comes directly out of a mm. um, part of uh, the realization that the problem was not solely the addict, but the, also the family and friends who constitute a network for the alcoholic. 
So this goes back to what we were discussing earlier, the need for those supports for the family to learn what is acceptable behavior in relating, communicating with our loved one who has or perhaps has a substance abuse issue. Um, it was subsequently broadened on to cover the way that codependent person is fixated on another person for approval, sustenance, and so on. Someone's worth should not, or self-worth should not be composed solely on how someone else looks at us. We need to develop that internally. We need to have a good concept of self. And, and that, I think that that's one of those issues that someone that suffers from codependency does not have. Sometimes they, they, they get so wrapped up that they lose themselves. And so their, their self-concept of themselves is very low on the, on the scale. And so by doing support groups, by going to, and learning about codependency, some of those issues um, can be helped um, and, and more insight into what am I actually doing? How am I doing this? You know, when you talked about coming in each week to the support group and bringing up the issues that were occurring, you know, you said you didn't have a place to be able to talk about that, except for that group, perhaps. That's an issue, you know, and most codependents really won't talk about what's really going on. They may, they may state something, but they're not going to go into the detail because they're, fixed, they're trying to fix the issue before it gets worse. But again, their fixing mm -hmm. is not helping. It's only mm -hmm. escalating. And you three ladies are witnesses to that piece individually for yourselves about what you've maybe done in the past to try to help your loved one and now where you are today after years of being able to find support and education on this issue to be able to help yourselves as yeah. well as your loved one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, um, a lot of, go ahead. There so many things. <laughs> there are some signs, some signs of codependency. What yeah. does that look like? So I'm going to list, there's about 20. Okay. I'm just going to go down the list. Okay. So um, this is something that you would ask yourselves. Am I really in a codependent relationship? Am I acting? Do I have characteristics of codependency? Do you, you, do you keep quiet to avoid arguments? Are you always worried about others' opinions of you? Have you ever lived with someone with an alcohol <laughs> or drug problem? Yeah. Have you ever lived with someone who hits or mm -hmm. belittles you? Are the opinions of others more important than your own? Do you feel, do you have difficulty adjusting to changes at work or at home? Do you feel rejected when significant others spend time with friends? Do you doubt your ability to be who you want to be? Are you uncomfortable expressing your true feelings to others? Have you ever felt inadequate? Do you feel like a bad person when you make a mistake? Do you have difficulty taking compliments or gifts? Do you feel humiliation when your child or spouse makes a mistake? Do you think people in your life would go downhill without your constant efforts? Do you frequently wish someone could help you get things done? Do you have difficulty taking, talking to people in authority, such as the police or your boss? Are you confused about who you are or where you're going with your life? Do you have trouble saying no when asked for help? Do you have trouble asking for help for yourself? And do you have so many things going on at once that you can't do justice to any of them? Those are some questions to Yeah. To so talk. it was funny as you were reading and, those questions, you know, we're all looking at each other on Zoom and uh, there was a lot of head nodding <laughs> happening <laughs> um, during those questions. Right. <laughs> sure. It is funny though, hearing you read those, I haven't gone through that list since the beginning you know, when I first read Codependent No More and 
I feel like I related to all of them at that time. But now I was actually happy that a lot of my head nodding was like, yeah, I used to do that. And um, I Mm -hmm. feel like there are still some things on that list that I'm like, yeah, that's me. Um, But it's not 20. So, (laughs) I mean, that's progress. Or also, I feel like there were some things where I'm like, yes, I feel like that resonates, but that I'm better at not following through on some of the actions like my like my mm-hmm. my initial feeling or urge might be like, oh, I, I want to like jump in and help or do X, Y, and Z. And so I can still relate to those questions in that way. Or I like might feel really anxious about having a difficult conversation. But the difference is, is like, now I know when to like stop myself or when to like push myself to have those conversations. And so I don't know, some growth maybe there, but. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it's not that it's not going to be moments when we fall back mm-hmm. into some of those mm-hmm. thoughts or, you know, I mean, let's face it for we, you know, someone that has and I have codependent behavior, you know, I mean, I, I have the characteristics. Um, I come from a dysfunctional family where that was how you operated. Um, you tried to keep keep it um uh, the chaos to a minimum, but it never was, no matter what your efforts were, how great your efforts were. And so I know that I can fall into those patterns if I don't watch myself. Mm-hmm. And that's where sometimes then, you know, reading up on other books on that or being able to talk to peers about those types of issues um, can help. I think that that's where going to group groups, 12 step groups. Um, I think going to um, what we call CODA, mm. codependent, no more groups, anonymous groups. Uh, those help. Um, Al-Anon, uh, Naranon, those types of groups can help with this issue. It's it's pervasive with a lot of people, I think, but I think it's it's it, it's an issue that some people just kind of live with for many. They can live with it for many, many years and not really be able to name it. What mm-hmm. is that? You know, and so I think that going through a list like that or going to uh, learning about what that is, you know, I think really I, I was thinking of this earlier prior to starting the podcast, I think that um, because it's such a normal piece of how lots of people operate on a daily basis, especially with their loved ones, that they're not going to pick up on it unless somebody Mm -hmm. else calls them out. That's where the group can help. Um, That's where people that have been where you are in the process of learning about whatever issue it is that you're trying to get help with that the codependency piece can be brought up and that's where people can start thinking about, Oh, well that does sound like some behavior Mm -hmm. I've exhibited. Yeah. Um, Um, One of the questions I was going to ask, but now after listening to what you just were about people calling that out on you, what I was going to say was why do you think we see so much like codependency in relationships with addicts um, or is that something, you know, that can exist just in general. And it, it sounds like that there's, you know, codependency happening in all kinds of relationships. Um, it doesn't have to just be with an addict, but I'm, what I'm thinking and something we've talked about yeah. the three of us in the past of when you start going and doing these groups and like working on yourself, like we entered these like therapies, because of you know this issue of addiction but it's brought to light so many other things that probably have always existed in our relationships or our behaviors that we would have just like never addressed because you didn't know to but once you're doing the work it like really Mm -hmm. just shines a light on other things like codependency and so maybe that's why you hear so much about addiction and codependency and then, you know, it doesn't mean that codependency is not help happening in 
non-addiction related relationships, it's just maybe that seems normal because they're not like looking at themselves or doing the work to like get to that point. Does, Does that like make any sense? Sure. Yes. And I think that um, the issue, yes, it's prevalent in uh, addictive relationships um, because the premise of the the addict is or person suffering from abuse, substance abuse issues is that it's all about their usage. You know, it's and I think that family members, especially um, partners, are put to the side because it's all about, you know, what, what would be normal responses to family issues and personal issues, intimate re- issues is not there because the, the, the addiction mm-hmm. is what's driving it all. You know, it's an all, all me or mm-hmm. all nothing attitude. It can also be prevalent in abusive relationships, um, violent relationships, um, where e- either if it's emotional, sexual, or um, physical abuse, that those codependent pieces are still present in those types of relationships, dysfunctional relationships, because again, it's all about someone wanting to be in authority over someone else, um, putting certain standards to be in this relationship. This is what I expect you to do, that sort of thing. And it's not that we shouldn't have standards of what, what's healthy, but when it's unhealthy behavior, that's where it, it opens up to damage not only people in the immediate family, but it can, it can go out to others within that, those relationships. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, community in, in a community or a work environment where there could be a boss that is just overbearing. Mm-hmm and demanding and expectation and, and people that work for him or her that go above and beyond and are never recognized for maybe the work that they do in supporting that person um, where they, they kind of lose their themselves or they may lose their, their reasons for even wanting to work in that environment. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's, it can be a broader perspective. I think it can inf- infiltrate any type of relationship that the codependent person yeah. is involved in. If they yeah, I'll say, um, Alex and I, we went to um, CODA a couple times, uh, Codependents Anonymous, mm-hmm. and you you had me come to some, Alex, um, and it was really, I, and because it was at the treatment facility, I thought it was all going to be everybody in there was going to have an addicted person, and that was not the case. I would say that we were in the far minority many of it was in parent child. So most, a lot of children Mm -hmm. were in and it it was adult children and it was just so eye opening. Like, Oh my gosh, like, man. And like you said, like, did I maybe have that relationship with my parents growing up? I mean, I don't know. Um, So, I mean, I think for anyone who may be experiencing this, who may doesn't have a group, you know, maybe a coda is around you because I believe it has a workbook and you can get like a sponsor, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. It, it, it's very helpful. There's also um, uh, that group, the codependent uh, issue can also be brought up in celebrate recovery mm-hmm. groups, which is more of a, a Bible based or church based kind of group. But they can be very helpful to people dealing with those issues. Um, you talked about the adult uh, children of adults the ACOA, Anonymous Addicted Children of Alcoholics, or um, Adult Children of Alcoholics, excuse me, um, that they, that's a group where a lot of codependency has been put into place for them growing up in a dysfunctional household where they're able to learn about how they then relate to them, their parents or family members in later years how did how do we make it healthier? How do I take care of myself mm-hmm. in this process? So there, there's a lot of different groups that can offer help. 
They may not call it codependency, a codependency group or like a coda group, but they can offer as time goes on yeah. help with that issue. And then there's also just, you know, you know, going to a licensed therapist, mental health clinician, um, being able to talk about those things. And sometimes that's easier. Uh, it might be easier for somebody to talk in that more private setting um, and a therapist be able to call out certain things that they're seeing or hearing in the dialogue that has a codependent mm -hmm. nature. Um, so, yeah, there's different opportunities for people yeah. out there, which is what. So how if you are listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, man, I check off 19 of those 20 things on that list. How how can you break that cycle or, or kind of maybe what are some first steps or how can you kind of move move through it? Well, I think one. Um, I think being able to educate yourself, if nothing else, if you don't have time to go to a group or you're, you're fearful of going to a group setting. I think going and finding um, books out there to read, um, you know, the codependent no more is a good reference just to start dialogue. Um, there are other authors. Um, there's probably more recent authors, authors that I'm not aware of, but I will tell you that um, there's also um, different references i'm trying to find, here it is um there's one uh, a book called facing codependence by pia melody um and then there's set yourself free by shirley smith those are two other books that could be helpful um also dr henry cloud has written many books on the subjects of personal boundaries because there's the issue of pers of boundaries is definitely a codependent issue, um, and another book that he uh, wrote on codependence um, called "Changes That Heal." So those those are by Dr. Henry Cloud. Again, those are older books than I'm aware of. Um, there may be more newer books out there or fresher authors looking at this issue but but in reality this is the issue and not a lot of that has changed as far as how how people look at that um so that that's one way um i think someone out there who needs to maybe talk to somebody i would I would, if they work for a company that offers um, the uh, employee assistance program, oh, what's it called? Uh, yes. EAP. Yes. I would definitely take advantage. If that's a benefit that you have within your work and work um, that you should take that. And, you know, with COVID going on right now, that's something that can be done via virtual as well. Um, but that may be, you know, and those are typically free sessions for someone that they could still, you know, get get information, get, have someone to talk to. Um, that EAP therapist may have other references to help um, or knowledge of other communities, uh, community groups that are offered wherever you are located. So I would I would go into that realm. Um, and then looking at if you're if you know of a meeting, if it's if it's taking someone else with you to the meeting, I, I heard, you know, Elise, you say that you and Alex went to a, a CODA meeting, you know, just being able to be there for support. Um, I, I would I would try to take advantage of that. Um, so th those are some just kind of basic things to be able to look at, to kind of get the, the ball rolling. Um, like any therapy, it's a process. You know, I think the codependent is mm -hmm. able to beat themselves up very hard if they don't see themselves making changes or, you know, um, they don't see things changing as fast as they feel like it should. 
that that's a process and you need to be a you need to center yourself around supportive people that know what you're going through and they can help. Yeah. That's a good point that that. I think a lot of times, you know, people are like, okay, I just want to do something and fix this. Um, Especially like, I feel like a lot of the people in our recovery group, we kind of are like fixers or have that like fixer mentality of, I just want to like fix this and make it better. Um, And that is not, Yes. how it's going to work <laughs> it is a long process and it's like you might feel right. like you're making these little steps and then something like and you're doing well and something big happens and you find that you've like backtracked a little bit but it's like as long as you kind of can t- continue right. progressing forward like that is the goal it's not like oh everything is going right. to just be magically fixed in x amount of time right and the other thing, a simple thing to maybe look at would be setting a goal on a weekly basis mm. of what's one thing that you can do mm-hmm. for yourself. Kind of going back to that family support group uh, mentality, you know, asking every week, what mm-hmm. have you done for yourself? And then, and then maybe having a, a, an accountability partner that knows what you said that you were going to do and then ask you at the end of the week or the next week, how was how was that um, how was that massage that you were going to take and or that spa visit to or, or you going yeah. to Dairy Queen and getting yourself an ice cream cone you know whatever it is you know no. so right that's, that's you have what I always found helpful well. in the group is, is when you know you would say something out loud to them of like okay this is a boundary I'm setting then in the moment when you start feeling like you're going to waver like I would have like the little group would pop in my mind and I would think, Ooh, do I want to go back on Wednesday and tell them that I (laughs) didn't follow through or, or the same thing with like the self care. And um, when you were talking about just like maybe little goals a week at a time, I feel like one of the common, like little boundaries that we encourage with um, new group members sometimes would be, um, And I think it could relate to codependency, just that need where you feel like, oh, I have to give them what, give my loved one, whatever they want and be there the minute they need it. And so sometimes we say, okay, like if they call you 500 times, like don't answer, or you don't have to respond to their texts, like immediately, maybe like you get the text and take an hour to think about one, if you even want to respond or what your response will be. But sometimes Mm -hmm. like when you're early in that mode, you just feel like, oh my gosh, they need something right now and I have to answer. And you haven't even had time to think about what you right. want or feel comfortable in the situation. Right. So that that's always like a very right. small thing that we would start with, but you got to lay the foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things I used to say, I think I said it in group to you ladies was, you know, with that whole issue of a call or a text, yeah. it's an invitation mm-hmm. to answer it's an invite. It doesn't mean that if you don't do this, I'm going to be upset with you or it shouldn't Mm -hmm. be, you know? Um, So again, you're making a change in how you respond to something, even as simple as that. And then they are learning Mm -hmm. about your response. And if it's the same, if it's the same old way that you, you, you know, you, you break the door down to get to the cell phone to answer the call, and and they're gonna they're gonna always know that I can count on her because she right. she, she mm-hmm. always does that for me. But when you make a change and say, "Wait a minute, I'm not going to quickly answer. I need time to process this and think about my response," then they need that that sends mm-hmm. a message to them, whether they want it or not. It makes them look at themselves. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what needs to happen. Because like I said, this is all a family piece. You know, this is all interconnected. Their response equals how you respond. And in the codependence mm-hmm. mode, mm-hmm. it's all dysfunctional. You know, I need a, a severity, uh, an immediate response. Um, but in the healthy response, it's about allowing people to take the time 
to make a mm -hmm. healthy choice and do something different to send a different message. And that's how that catalyst of change can occur, even in yeah. the smallest of things. That's so so that, um, so. we were talking about breaking, One breaking the time. cycle. So what happens or in situations since it is such a family disease, like if one person, let's say like Elise, you know, starts making changes, but then her mother-in-law and sister-in-law, like what kind of dynamics do you see happening like within a family like when one person maybe starts addressing their codependent behaviors and like others aren't at that point sure well typically um the response may be not may not be positive you know um because again, it forces them to have to deal or respond in a different way. So a lot of times with, with that, when someone starts making changes, um, I think it's, it's, it's important for the person making the change to, to remind themselves of why they're needing to do this. What's the reason why I'm making this change? What's the, what's the negatives of not making the change? I'm going to stay in this dysfunctional behavior. They're all going to expect it from me and it's not going to change. One of the premises of, of recovery was nothing changes if nothing changes. And in this regard, that's one of those, those things. It, it's up to the other family member or other person about how they're going to respond. And again, I think putting up boundaries for, for you as an individual is what's needed. Again, it may, they may not like it. They may, they may try to retaliate against that. But I think that it's important for you to maintain consistency in the change. Um, my hope is, you know, it's always the hope that mm -hmm. another family member is going to make changes as well. And some do, but there are also those family members that don't take the time to want to do anything different in their lives. Um, they benefit, they benefit from the chaos, they benefit from the dysfunction, and they don't see any other way out. But that doesn't mean that someone else should not take advantage mm -hmm. of yeah. what yeah. what can be different that's great so well, jay this was such a fantastic conversation we are so thankful that you mm -hmm. came on with us to navigate this codependency topic because we are not experts at this we are all just uh <laughs> recovering codependence <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> sure <laughs> well you you are becoming experts mm -hmm. you know you uh, you have that's the one thing. Therapy work or even support group work is something that someone gets started and they learn, they can learn from it and they can help others learn from it. And you, you know, I can't take away the knowledge that the three of you have acquired mm -hmm. in all these years, both personal, um, and by means of some kind of professional help, you know, you, you all, your lives are, are modeling what you mm. have put into place. And luckily that your husbands, partners yeah. have mm -hmm. all done that as well. It's not that we don't have stumbling blocks on the way, but you also mm -hmm. learn how to do that when there's a stumbling block. And it may not feel good, but you get through it. And you get through it in a healthier manner because you've learned and you've executed what needs to happen for you. The piece about lo looking at that for you. So, um, so <laughs> thank I you. Well, as, thanks. As experts, thank you. You know, this started, starting with this, starting with this whole podcast. I mean, you all three initiated mm -hmm. this on your own and, and that's, that's what someone does when they are, have a passion for seeing others get the same resources. Oh, thank you. So 
I'm really proud of all three of you for being able to do this and, and reach out. I'm happy that you reached out to me and, um, you know, I, I have given your podcast information to my therapist and they give it to other ladies at our facility yeah. And it, that, that's yeah. how we do this. Well, thank you. Know? you. Right. <laughs> even, in, even in the strangest yeah. times. Well, thank you so much for helping us get to this thank point you. to be able to share what we've learned um, with others. So always enjoy talking to yeah. you. Hope uh, hope we can do it in I person think. again soon. Yes. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. I look All right. Well, you take care. Definitely. Bye. You Bye. Too. Take care. Bye-bye, ladies. Thanks for tuning in to Boy Problems Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this episode. Find us on social media, and if you have questions or ideas for topics, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com.